Blog Talk Radio. Glamour, fear less. Diabetes late night. Diabetes 
have a higher risk of blindness than people without diabetes. But I quickly want to add that most people who have diabetes have nothing more than minor eye disorders. With regular checkups, you can keep minor problems minor, and if you do develop major problems, there's a treatment, there's often a treatment that could work to help you, and uh, you should begin them right away. Tonight's guests include singer Alpha Anderson, diabetic macular edema patient, Marianne Cass, artist Bryce Chisholm, the Charlie's Angels of Outreach, poet Lorraine Brooks, and Mama Rosemary. And tonight, we'll be playing music off of several of Maxwell's albums, courtesy of Sony Music. Now take a minute and donate to DivaBetic at divabetic.org. Your tax-deductible contributions are greatly appreciated. Let's play some more music. You know, after that seven-year hiatus, our DivaBetic musical inspiration for June, Maxwell returned with a song that last year went on to win a Grammy Award for Best R&B Song. Here's Lake by the Ocean from Maxwell's fifth album, Black Summer's Night, courtesy of Sony Music. Let's listen. Welcome back to Diabetes Late Night. I'm your host, Mr. Diva Bedick. I want to take a minute and wish all the fathers listening a happy Father's Day, including my dad. This week, we're sharing best-selling cookbook author Kelly, I'm sorry, Holly Clegg's recipes, diabetes hot topics from certified educators like Janice Rosler, and fun, entertaining ideas for your Divabetic Spaghetti Western Father's Day celebration on our website and on our Facebook pages. That's right. This year, we're encouraging everyone to unleash their inner cowboy and cowgirl for Father's Day to help you celebrate the holidays without jeopardizing your diabetes self-care. Plus, I'm throwing in some things that are trending on the web, including why Usher skipped the Manchester concert to take his son to a diabetes camp. Also, we're talking a little bit about how Rita Wilson is working with Tom Hanks after his type 2 diagnosis to keep the whole family healthy. And we're sharing how two spouses living with diabetes manage their family together. Now, tonight, we're going to help you ride into the sunset by talking about diabetic macular edema and why we take things for granted in our life, like our vision. In the spirit of Father's Day, I'd like to encourage you to stop for a moment and look around to see the endless things we have that others who are less fortunate don't. People complain constantly about having an outdated model of a car or an iPhone when we, we should just really be grateful for the things we have in the first place. Here to shore, shed more light on that subject is the wonderful, talented Lorraine Brooks. Hello, Lorraine. Hi, Max. I, I wasn't sure you were talking about me at first. <laughs> How you know why? You? Because I, I didn't see our studio audience, and now I'm waving to them. <laughs> there they are. You're back on the show. Oh, thank, thank you for you turning so the applause sign on. Well, I just got to see you recently. It was so great. You know, people think we all uh, podcast in the same room, but that's not true. We're all over the country week, uh, month after month, year after year. Uh, but thankfully, we were able to combine forces and go down to Fairfax, Virginia, to present our first ever diabetic 
alert dog fashion show. What did you think? <laughs> that was so much fun, Max. First of all, I was so happy to have you down here in the D.C. area in my neck of the woods. But um, it, it was a lot of fun. Um, a lot of people came out and dressed their dogs up and had a lot of fun and a lot of laughs and prizes and raising awareness, and it was a wonderful afternoon. I understand you're going to do it again next year, and I think it'll even be better next year. It's going to be bigger, better, and with more dazzle. So people should look for the first weekend in June for us to be back there at the Mosaic Central Farm Market, working with a scent detection expert, Debbie Kay, as well as certified diabetes educator, Kathy Gold. And you'll be happy to know, Lorraine, or I should say our guests will be, our audience will be happy to know that we're going to actually present a Divabetic Club workshop after the fashion show so that people who have questions or concerns can find out a little bit more about Divabetic and the things we offer as well as get some of their most uh, common questions answered or, or the thoughts oh, that I, matter to them the most, uh, some information on that. I think that will be a wonderful thing. I, I, I'm sure that people will appreciate that very much. I heard a lot of people in the audience, um, you know, just saying that they were really happy to have um, – you there and to have you know somebody who who's uh raising awareness about diabetes I, I don't know how many of them were affected themselves but i heard the buzz in the audience that that i think information would be a wonderful thing so um i hope i'm around next year to share it with you i, m- I might buy a dog just so i can enter him in the in the contest <laughs> oh no i've been seeing your art on facebook so if your if your costume skills are as good as your artwork it's going to be a real uh first prize is going to be a, a challenge you're going to take it oh. i think Thank you so much. All right, so tonight we're talking a little bit about things we take for granted. Um, You know, eyesight is definitely one of the things I think most of us take for granted if we have it, and we don't we don't really uh, think of how to keep it, right? How do you feel about that? You know, well, fortunately, my eyes are fine. I I just had a dilated exam a couple of months ago, and uh, my eyes are fine. But I, I do have a couple of friends who are um, starting to have some issues, and one friend in particular who's now, I think, in her early 70s, and she's got macular degeneration that they say was um, uh, is diabetes-related. So, yeah, it, it is something we, we take for granted. You know, I've worn glasses pretty much all my life, but fortunately my glasses are always able to correct my vision. I, I can't imagine... Um, you know, having my eyesight affected, I, I think it's one of the most important things that we can take care of. I try to have a dilated exam at least every other year, probably should do it every year from now on. But I think it's so important. It's one of those things that you're right. We 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 take for granted until we can't do it anymore, and then it's too late. Right, and then, you know, that idea of regret gets in the way of really trying to even – uh, challenge yourself to manage it in a better way and 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 keep it at a minimal level, you know, which I think is so important. And we'll be hearing more about that later on the show, um, not only from a patient but also a uh, mixed media artist from Nevada who worked with the patient living with diabetic macular um, edema to create a one-of-a-kind piece of artwork based on her story of mm. living with diabetes as well as diabetic macular edema and the things that she finds worthwhile in life to to keep an eye on. <laughs> I think it's exciting. <laughs> it's so artistic. And and you know it's so it's it's one of those tests and one of those screenings that's really uh, non-invasive and very easy to do. I mean they put some drops in your eyes, you know, it's uncomfortable for a couple of minutes and and then that's it. So there's really no reason not to do that. 
Well, you know, I've always worn glasses, and it used to be really uncomfortable to go out in that bright sunlight with dilated pupils. But, you know, like you were just saying, uh, you can get the dilated uh, screening, which you should do like every other year. But also there's so many uh, computers available today that they could see so much without having to do that. So it's not even so much of a problem. That was the only thing I ever found to be problematic with an eye exam was having my pupils dilated. Well, I did too, but I put on the coolest sunglasses, so I was perfectly fine afterwards. <laughs> I would expect nothing less from you, Lorraine, to be honest. <laughs> All right, well, I'd love to hear uh, the poem you wrote tonight um, for this podcast. I think it's entitled, I Woke Up This Morning. It is. Uh, I, I entitled it, I Woke Up This Morning, because I think that's also one of the things that we take for granted is that we're going to wake up in the morning. I woke up this morning, as always, and while walking through my hallway, I looked in the mirror, reflecting, and thought, why am I so rejecting? There's food in my pantry and clothes on my back, and two cars in my garage. I've plenty of colleagues and friends I don't lack. I'm blessed with a fine entourage. There's heat in the winter and cool when it's hot. There's no way I'm doubting the blessings I've got. So what if I need to count calories now? I still can consume that dessert anyhow. My kidneys are fine and my eyesight's okay, and I can still sleep at the end of the day. I have a few dollars and I can have fun and not have to justify to anyone. I make my decisions and live with my fears and thankful for 65 wonderful years. This life here on earth can be tragic enough without adding to it irrelevant stuff. The gift is in living and doing our best and then letting go of all of the rest. So have a good time and be of good cheer and you will enjoy the time you have here positive vibes, and a will to stand tall, and living won't be any trouble at all. I love it, Lorraine. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. uh, Bringing that to life. I think that's so important for people to hear those words. We'll be posting it on our website, divabetic.org, as well as on our Facebook pages. And, um, not many times the music kind of goes along with the theme. Sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. But you're going to be surprised by this, uh, Lorraine. Our next song by Maxwell is actually his biggest hit. He was awarded Best R&B Single of the Year at the Billboard Music Awards and Best R&B Single at the Soul Train Awards. And believe and it actually was nominated for a Grammy. But that's not the best part because it goes along with what you were just talking. It was penned by R. Kelly in 1999, and it's called Fortunate by Sony Music. <laughs> Let's listen. Thank you, Maggie. Never dug anyone like this. Never had taste and this to kiss. Never had someone to miss. Never heard a song quite like this. Welcome. 
Welcome back to Diabetes Late Night. I'm your host, Mr. Diva Bedek, and I'm feeling very fortunate looking around. You know, for the past 12 years, I've had the pleasure and privilege of presenting delicious Diva brand of diabetes outreach called Diva Bedek. And I don't do it alone. I work with a team, and I often work side-by-side -side with certified diabetes educators who are qualified healthcare professionals, including Patricia Addy Gentle, who's coming up in a minute. Now, not everyone makes a great at Divabetic because I do have an unorthodox approach to diabetes education. Uh, I don't like to bore people with it, which means I like to play games and play music like you just heard. Well, one of the educators that I've worked for is my friend and colleague, Susan Weiner. She's running for president of the American Association of Diabetes Educators. Uh, I'm getting out the vote for her and letting you know that she's been a guest on this podcast several times. She's helped me with my videos, Carb Kitty, which is a carb, uh, carb counting video for D-Life. And she also was the keynote pres um, speaker at our Diva Beta Club in Philadelphia. So she was named the Educator of the Year a year ago, and I just want to make sure you check her out before the voting ends because I do think she would do a fantastic job for AADE, just like I think my next guest does a fantastic job for the last seven years on this podcast. Please welcome Patricia Addy Gentle. Hi, Patricia. Hi, Max. How are you? Good, and you know, if you ever decide to run for president of AADE, I'll devote a whole podcast to you because I like oh you. Oh my so. goodness! <laughs> so, well, thank uh, you. I was for happy. The uh, Susan asked me if I would give a shout out to her, and I'm more than happy to do it because I just she does such a terrific job uh, with her education and how she presents it. Thank you so much. All right, well, tonight we're talking about kind of a, a curious topic. It's diabetic macular edema. I think most people uh, who are diagnosed with diabetes don't initially think of eyes and any kind of eye disease or anything associated with their eyes. So tell us a little bit um, about the symptoms and the treatments for diabetic macular edema. And for those of you listening, we're going to get a firsthand testimonial coming up from a woman named Marianne. But I wanted to talk to you first, Patricia, just to give people a better idea of this topic. Well, uh, first of all, macular edema is fluid buildup in the macula. And the macula is a part of the retina, or it's right in the center of the retina. And often we hear about retinopathy, but uh, once fluid builds up and starts to leak or the vessels weaken and fluid begins to leak into out of those vessels into the um, grounds of the eye, then uh, the tissue can be inflamed and there's swelling. So fluid buildup in excess in the macula causes it to thicken and it distorts the vision. So that's pretty much what macular degeneration is, but, um, and it is caused by those leaky fluids and weak vessels. So that's why we always... Wait, I just want to go from what you just said. Uh -huh. Some of the symptoms, so it, it, it's not painful, but some of the symptoms could be just having a trouble reading the sports scores on TV or that little rolling tape at the bottom of your screen when it, you know in the morning shows with what's the next hot topic, right? You know, like you could exactly. you, you could just sort of see a slight difference with your vision. It's not uh, not a 180 from clear vision. Exactly, and sometimes you know it's just not quite as sharp as what you have been accustomed to, and it may be transient. It kind of comes and goes, but um, you're exactly right. So sometimes, you know, it, it can range from very slight blurry vision to noticeable 
vision loss. But, um, you know, once that happens, you're pretty well advanced in, in the disease. And I just want to stress one more time, because I know this is going to make a lot of people living with diabetes who tune in every month nervous, that the truth is that managing your, managing your diabetes um, is an important way to prevent it. Absolutely, and that is one of the main reasons why we talk to our um our participants in our self-management classes about eyes and what they should do to prevent. Prevention is always the the way to go. And so you get that dilated eye exam that Lorraine was talking about, and we do recommend that you have that done once each year. But, um, you know, and, and even when you don't have symptoms, the first stages of the problem may be detected. So early treatment is always advisable in any, no matter what it is, what the diagnosis is. The earlier you seek treatment and obtain that treatment, the better the outcome. And there are some exciting breakthroughs going on for diabetic macular edema as far as treatments are concerned. I know that most of the medications up to now has been an injection in the eye. I mean, people were doing laser treatments. Now there's an injection in the eye, but there's also something new on the horizon, right? A, a once You get it once a year, every three years? You get a, one injection every th three years? Um, the, the one injection every three years, yes, is that's pretty new. Uh, but what we see most often is the injection that's done about every two months, once every two months. And we'll find out how painful that is. But I know from my research, they just numb out your eyes. It's not that discomfort. It's more about the recovery. But that's also something important for people to know, that there is treatment for it. And like I said, Marianne's coming up in a minute. She'll be sharing more about it from her uh, perspective. Anything else that you think our listeners should know about diabetic macular edema before we talk to Marianne? Um, like I said, it is treatable in the early stages. So the best advice that I can give is to always never delay, but to get that preventive care and your dilated eye exam once a year. All right, and if people have more concern right now, they could go to Lighthouse International, American Foundation of the Blind, or the American Society of Retina Specialists. Those are just a few websites out there that could provide more information. If we're going to have a diva on the show, we've got to do a build-up. So, hey, listen, everybody. June's divabetic musical inspiration, Maxwell, was nicknamed Maxwell House Coffee. Hmm, I think I've heard that. And often referred to as the quiet nerd who sat in the back of the classroom by his fellow classmates. Uh, that's where we dis differ. I was much louder. So uh, let's hear another song off of Maxwell's debut album, Maxwell's Urban Hang Suite, courtesy of Sony Music. Whenever, wherever, whatever, baby. Whenever, wherever, whatever, Papa, baby. Welcome back to Diabetes Late Night. When it comes to your eye health, it, it helps to act sooner rather than later, like Patricia Addy Gentle just said. If you have diabetic macular edema, other known as DME, or know someone who does, you're not alone. In fact, many others diagnosed with DME have continued to successfully manage their eye, 
eyes like my next guest. She's a fun-loving mother, a proud grandmother, and a retired teacher living with type 2 diabetes. Please welcome to the show, Marianne. Hi, Marianne. Hello, Marianne. We're also excited to have you on the show. Thank you for joining us. Oh, my pleasure. Now, I've been reading um, a lot about you online, but our guests our audience is not familiar with us, so tell us a little bit about um, your journey of not only uh, diabetic macular edema, but also just when you were first diagnosed with type 2 diabetes. I'd be happy to share that. Um, I had my fourth baby in my 30s, and that's when I first um, developed uh, gestational diabetes and was even put in the hospital. It was off the charts, and it was like, where did this come from? Well, the following year, I was diagnosed with uh, type 2 diabetes. And um, I kept going okay from about 40. Uh, And then when I hit about 50, I saw that my vision was getting a little worse, and in denial, I was thinking, well, yeah, your eyes always get worse. You usually have to increase your vision on your your glasses. Well, um, at 50, I went to my eye doctor, and he said, you need your cataracts done, and I just couldn't believe that. You know, that's just for people in their 80s, and I just couldn't believe it. Well had my cataracts done, and that specialist referred me to a retina doctor, and um, he, I had DMA and uh, got on a wonderful, wonderful path to taking care of myself finally. And so what was the treatment like for DME? Well, you know, and I know this is you hear this all the time. It is so different from every everyone okay. is very different. Um, I did. I did. Uh, I think Patricia was saying that they don't do laser much anymore, and I went through that. And uh, you know, just just I was just with such good good doctors. They took care of me and. Um, and now I am 2030 and 2025 in in my eyes. But I've also I know I think that's amazing. I just have to go back to this because a lot of our type two listeners are needle phobic. And did you ever have it injected in your eye? And what did it feel like? Just because I know people are hearing that or are a little nervous when I mentioned that earlier. You know what I did. Okay. And. Um, they give you, they numb your eyeball, and again, everyone is different. Let me put it this way. If you have DME, it is not a question what your treatment is going to be. You have to take care of yourself. So no matter what you need to do, you do, and you, I got results. So what would you tell other people who might have an increased risk of vision loss just about prioritizing their vision? Well, it's just like Patricia said. Um, Number one, must see your eye doctor uh, once a year. 
and it has to be a dilated exam, you know, so you're looking cross-eyed afterwards for <laughs> for a little bit. But right. um, they have to be able to see behind the retina to see if they're swelling, and that's what the dilation does. Um, I just absolutely go. There's a website that is phenomenal that tells my story and all the things you can do, and that's called Look to Your Future. Um, dot com, and I think my biggest thing is just do not wait. It will not go away. Don't think it will. And over the years, it may take thirty years. But think about if you are really on um, a healthy path to getting your eyes examined all the time how early you can stop some of this uh, DME. I think that's so, the so big important. thing is, I'm sorry? No, no, I think what you're saying is so important. Please continue. Oh, no, just, just do not be in denial that your eyes are getting worse. It's not because of your age <laughs> or, <laughs> or who knows what. Just um, take care of yourself and be realistic that it could happen to you. That is pretty common, though, Marianne, that, you know, as we all tend mm-hmm. to get older, we start to see little changes in our body, and we just chalk it up to getting older. So, I mean, like when you yeah. first started having that, uh, that those issues, was it because, um, I think I read it was because you were driving, you were having a little hard time uh, behind, seeing behind the wheel, or was it, what was one of yeah. the early symptoms? Uh, One of the early symptoms was I just couldn't drive at night anymore. Uh, The street lights had halos around them, and um, the stoplights, you know, the the red, green, yellow, uh, were mixed up. I couldn't differentiate the colors, and um, it just was dangerous for me to, to be out at night, so I quit going out. Um, I also had two new grandchildren. I quit driving them around because I feared. I just didn't want to be in an accident. So those were my, um, and uh, like reading the newspaper, there was like a double image. It's like uh, you would look at a word, and then it would also be to the right a little bit, the same word. So that And this started happening in your early 50s, right? Correct. Correct. Yeah. All right. Well, we're a very artistic crowd, so I'm kind of fascinated with how you got teamed up with Bryce because I saw his website. He's a Nevada artist. He's known for his mixed media paintings. He does spray painting. It's amazing graffiti work. So I'm just tell us a little bit about this story about uh, working with Bryce Chisholm to raise awareness for diabetic macular edema. Well, um, Regeneron, the pharmaceutical company that I speak through, um, hooked us up, and they looked for someone who could, I don't know, just my, the, my personality and his personality and what we wanted to express, express, and they could not have chosen someone more perfect. We met at a coffee house and just started gabbing and gabbing and gabbing, and an hour and a half later, 
he had my story. Um, I think the big points he took away were that I love the beach in San Diego, California, and I love my grandbabies. And I'm sure he will tell you more. I don't want to take away his thunder. Um, That was his art piece um, with my eyes on the art. Right, your eyes are featured, your bright blue eyes are featured at the top of the painting. I posted this earlier on Twitter. I'll be releasing it again on Facebook, but I did post it on our DivaBetic website, DivaBetic.org. What do you see when you see that painting? Is it an inspiration in any way? Oh, my gosh, yes. First of all, I always want to cry. (laughs) Um, It has my grandchildren in there, my eyes, and and the ocean. It is an inspiration that I'm proud of myself, that I became proactive, and that I remember it, the DME affecting my life that I couldn't go out. Um, I... It just when I look at it, it is it, it, pride. That is the best work, word I can describe. Um, that I'm pretty darn proud of myself for getting on this. I second that. I hear. I just want to congratulate <laughs> some of the outreach to at Diva Medic, Share that story of just having that moment when they take take charge of their life. So. Again, before we bring in Bryce, let's just talk about this one more time because that is so inspiring to me. And later on in the show, I'll be talking to Alpha Anderson, who is a former uh, vocalist for Luther Vandross, who's reinvented herself at this time in her life with a whole new album coming out on another, starting another musical journey. But your journey for people living with diabetes is so important. So how did you take that moment when you probably felt like your body was letting you down and decide I'm going to do something. I'm not going to let this happen. I'm going to do everything I can to change it. Well, you know, when I, when I, I think when I had the cataracts and then he said, I need to refer you even further. What? This is happening to me? So I made my appointment. That was my turning point. And then uh, to be with an expert retinopathist was, I, I was really taken care of, and and I think that's another thing. You're not alone. Everyone wants you to be better. They want to help you, and so that's that was my turning point. And again, like I said, just do not wait, and um, get those yearly eye exams. It's a great message. Will you stick around? We're going to bring Bryson in a minute, and then we'll come back to have both of you on just in a little bit. Do you mind hanging out for a minute? Oh, no problem. Would love to. All right. Well, stay in the green room because, Marion, you might want to dance because we're going to play an up-tempo song by American neo-soul <laughs> singer Maxwell. He's our June Divabetic <laughs> musical inspiration. He admits he wrote over 300 songs and performed at venues throughout New York City waiting for his big break. Here's the third single from the Maxwell's Urban Hang Suite, courtesy of Sony Music. Let's listen. Even though she pays me no attention, all I want to show is my affection. Lose myself inside her ebony. She ain't even checking me. Oh, yeah. 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 Y
Ivy's Late Night. I'm your host, Mr. Diva Bedick, and I want to tell all the Luther fans, I can see they're listening in on the show tonight, Alpha Anderson will be coming up shortly. But right now we're going to take a more in-depth look at the Look to Your Future campaign that connected Marianne with an amazing Nevada-based artist named Bryce Chisholm, uh, who created one of, one-of-a-kind piece of artwork to capture Marianne's story. Please welcome Bryce to the show. Hi, Bryce. Hello. Thanks for having me. I'm in love with your artwork. I I took a minute uh, to check it out. It's colorful. It's a little uh, graffiti. It's street-inspired. You do stencils. Kind of describe your look to people since um, it's such a unique thing. I, I really want people to capture your look before you tell us exactly how you worked with Marianne. Well, yeah, I'm I'm a very visual person, and I, I mean, I did get somewhat of a start in spray paint and street art, um, doing that thing, and I really would try to bring that um, unknown beauty, you know, like going down a dark alley and and seeing that beauty. A lot of people just see it as you know, like it's dirty and grimy, but I've always found it to be you know so beautiful in unexpected places, and so that's what I really try to do is bring that you know to the to the mainstream and get people to, oh, that is beautiful. It really is. All right. So you were a graffiti artist, but having a child in honor of Father's Day, we're mentioning this, changed your art. How did that happen? Because I I saw this in a video on your website, ABC Art Attack. Um, Tell us a little bit about how your your art has morphed and where it is today. Um, Yeah, having children was definitely... Uh, you know, it's a huge part of your life. And uh, when I first had my daughter, she just really inspired me. And, you know, I wanted to stop doing stuff on the streets as much. And I, you know, I didn't want to get in any trouble or anything like that. Um, And then, but she also became a huge um, inspiration for me. So I've done several paintings of her. Um, I've painted my boy a few times. Um, So they have actually become, you know, the art as well. And music inspires your artwork, just like music inspires our monthly podcast. So what were you listening to when you were creating Marianne's work? Um, lately, I've been on these really cool uh, remixes. They've, they're they old, like, Beatles mixed into modern music. And it's <laughs> um, one thing I do is I try not to listen to, the like, an album the whole way through because I find that I get into the groove of that album. Um, I, w- I would rather have something on random, um, so it just keeps me on my toes, and I'm always, you know, changing and going. Um, but it's been I think Alpha Anderson, deal. our next guest, is going to be horrified to hear that because she's releasing her new album from the heart. But maybe she'll let you put it on. You could you could listen to it any way you want. <laughs> so yeah. all right. So now. Um, Tell us a little bit how you got partnered with Marianne, and you're going to have to describe this artwork once again because it is amazing, and I did post it, uh, but I want everyone to see what you're doing because I think it's such a unique way to raise awareness for low vision loss and diabetic macular edema. Yeah, um, I was um, I was I was reached out by uh, Regeneron. They um, asked me if I would be interested in doing this project, and I said yes, I would, and I ended up meeting Marianne at a coffee shop, and we sat there for an hour and a half, two hours, and she told me her story of what happened and 
and then we got into what was important to her and what it was like, and uh, she described, you know, her grandchildren and cooking and um, her being a teacher and just all the things that were important to her, the beach down in San Diego. And so I was really just trying to summarize all those different um, feelings that she was explaining to me and put them into the painting. Um, that's why I had, you know, I was like, okay, I know that her grandchildren need to be part of this. Um, that could be a center point. But I also want the beach in there. And with the DME, I knew that her eyes should be like a huge focus of the painting as well. And so I, that's what I was really trying to go for. So did you, ha I know you work with stencils, so did you take a, st a picture of her grandchildren or she gave you a picture of her grandchildren and then you stenciled it into the artwork? Yes. Because uh, I've seen that you created backgrounds before and then you put artwork on top of it. Did you have an existing background or did you kind of start from scratch with this one? It's it's, And I do want to tell people, I'm sorry they can't see it, but we will be posting it so they can see it uh, later. Yes, I I appreciate you uh, sharing the pictures. I've noticed that, so thank you. And, uh, yeah, um, I actually had asked her if she could take a picture of her grandkids because I didn't know. I, I hadn't met them at that time, and so I didn't have any access to them. Um, so I just asked her to take a picture, and, like, I gave her a few pointers of, like, oh, it might be nice if they're doing this or doing that. Um, she sent me a few, and then I was able to work from them. Um, yes, I and I created a stencil out of that. Um, her eyes, she actually took it herself, so it was just a little selfie that she had took. She sent me several, and I picked the one that I liked the best. Um, and then the background, it was created specifically for that, but I do love the bright colors and putting the different you know, I knew it was going to be like a sunset-y beach, so I was going for that feeling. All right, and um, let's bring in Marianne for a minute, because I'm sure she hasn't seen you for a little bit. So, Marianne, you're back on with Bryce. I'm just curious, after having seen this painting for as long as you have, if you have any further comments you'd like to make to Bryce. He is a I phenomenal artist. And I just want to toot his horn, horn a little bit. Reno has, um, in July, it's artwork, 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 all throughout the month. And Bryce is very well known. I would love everyone, once it's posted, to see the unusual um, quality of his work. It's, like we said, bright colors. And I have to tell you a funny story. My little granddaughter took a look at it, and she goes, why did he make me orange? <laughs> and it was just the vibrant colors of the of the art piece. And uh, I've been able to see Bryce a few times, and we always just laugh, and we will always have a connection. We got along right. really well. well thank so you I'm both. For, I'm sorry, Bryce, what did you want to say? Oh, I just wanted to say, yeah, we got along great, and it just made the whole project uh, really smooth, and so it was a pleasure to do it, and I learned so much along the way as well, so thank you. Mm -hmm. All right, well, thank you so much for being on the show tonight, both of you. We really appreciate it, and uh, Bryce, if you're ever in this side of the country, in New York, I want you to know I'm going to be attending the world's biggest art parade this weekend, the 35th annual Mermaid Parade in Coney Island. I'll be shooting a fun video sharing tidbits about and some clues about this year's 
Mystery Diva Bag Mystery Podcast entitled Gypsies, Tramps, and Peas. It's going to be a Facebook Live <laughs> extravaganza, and you make sure you tune in on Saturday um, at 1 p.m. So thank you, Marianne and Bryce, for being on the show. Our musical inspiration for June sang uh, in a Baptist church choir, but he didn't become serious about music until he was about 17. After uh, getting a, a Casio keyboard from a friend, he began composing songs like the next one, which was featured on the set list that from the shows I toured with him on. Here's Lifetime, courtesy of Sony Music. Let's listen. I can let my life pass me by. Welcome back to Divey's Late Night. I'm your host, Mr. Diva Bedek. Working with Maxwell uh, was life-changing, but Luther Vandross really changed my life. And my next life, uh, next guest's life changed when Luther Vandross invited her to be a, at a vocal session for the music group Chic. She sang backgrounds on Chic's first two singles for Atlantic Records, and then she moved to the lead on my favorite Chic song, I Want Your Love, from the album Chez Chic. Since then, she's led an amazing life filled with music, musical education, and much, much more. And now she's releasing her first album, From My Heart, featuring my biggest song for the summer. It's called When Luther Sings. Please welcome to the show, Alpha Anderson. Hi, Alpha. Hi, Matt. I'm so excited to have you on the show tonight. Thank you. Excited to be with you. I'm actually looking at my tickets for Joe's Pub. I'm going to see you on Friday, July 7th at 7.30 at Joe's Pub. Uh, it's your release party for the album. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. I've waited a long time, and I can't think of a better place to do it than Joe's Pub. Um, now, you've been in the music industry for a long time. We're going to go back. We're going to talk about that in a minute. But why now? Why step into the spotlight now? I felt like... I had something that I really wanted to say, and I wanted to speak from my heart, hence the title of the the piece. I've always sung, and I've always written. I've written with my husband. I've written with other people. I've co-written. But I felt that I wanted to do something different. I felt like I wanted to sort of grow up, quote, unquote, and become the CEO of my own company and not just a commodity. (laughs) So that's sort of uh, how this came about, but I've always been writing. And I think that during that process, I finally began to figure out who I was and what my voice was. And I thought now it's either now or never. (laughs) Put it out there now or forget it. And I certainly didn't want to forget it. It's tricky, though, isn't it, Alpha? Because the music industry does like to pigeonhole you. So if you don't have a musical sound or know your sound like you're saying, then it seems to me people are pretty quick to put one on you. It's true. It's true. And and the industry is very different um, now than it was before. And when I started it, I just started it almost as, as just a labor of love. You know, I, I sat down and figured out, a budget and how much money I was going to put into it. And I'm saying, you know, this is something that I'm going to do and I will have completed something to leave, you know, for my progeny. But it ended up taking a life of its own 
and it's 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 really getting to have wings and it's beginning to soar. But when I first started writing, I just wanted to empty my heart of some things that were inside of me and share some of the life lessons I've learned along the way and talk about some of the things that I value in life about love and friendship and sharing and caring about one another, you know? No, I I totally agree. Now, you were part of what I would consider to be the golden age of New York City session work back in the 70s. There was such an amazing group of talent uh, that you were a part of. I want to talk about this because, as I mentioned in the intro, you worked with Sheik, and you're going to tell us how you got involved with that. But I have to tell everyone right now, you sing the lead on one of my favorite songs of all time, and (laughs) specifically because of these lyrics, um, Just One Chance. And I will show you love like no other two steps above. On your ladder, I'll be a peg. I want your loving. Please don't make me beg. I just think, I don't know, it makes me smile every time to think that someone's love is two steps above. Did you kind of, how did you feel when you first got handed the the lyric sheet? <laughs> well, I was handed the lyric on the day of the recording. That was one of the interesting things about the way Nal and Bernard recorded. You never heard the tracks and you never heard the lyrics until you actually went into the studio. <laughs> and I guess it's because they that? wanted that real they wanted that realness. They wanted they wanted you to to just respond to it in the moment. And that's what I did. I responded to it in the moment and and you're thinking about it. And at that time I was in a relationship that was not a great relationship, you know, and and it just kept speaking to me. These lyrics, you know, kept speaking to me. So I'm like, "Okay, I can handle this, <laughs> but it was interesting. It was very interesting. It's sort of like life imitating art. Well, and you also mentioned in a recent interview uh, that, you know, you were a little bit shy about expressing your sensuality and sexuality, and that song kind of put it out there that you had a, you know, I want your love. So that that when you first looked at it, were you a little bit like knee-jerk reaction, like I have to sing this? Yeah. Yeah, I was definitely like that because I, I, I was a little shy and I didn't want to talk about those things. I, I've always felt like certain things were private, and I still do, you know, and personal. But this was a song that actually became an anthem for someone, you know, and, and for a woman to actually say that. Because usually, like, I came from an era where women were not necessarily the aggressors, and it wasn't necessarily right. for us to say that. I want your love. Do you... Do you feel you ever want to try my love and see how well it fits? Well, hello. This is the um, well-bred southern lady who's actually saying that to someone, and it was totally against the way I was reared and the way I was, actually the way I was brought up and the voices that were in my head. And um, the the songs that I'm writing now and the work that I'm doing now are almost the opposite of that in that I have finally finally begun, as we all do, Silence some of the voices in your head that prevent you from being you and prevent you from just being who you really are in this world and stand in your own truth. I love it. I'm, I can't wait to July 7th. All right, so let's talk about studio work, Luther Vandross, and then I have a bunch of questions from the Luther fans. They've been all over social media today. I want okay. to really know, though, like, what was it like? Because this was such a tight group of people with you and Fonzie and Diva and Michelle and Luther and I'm sure Robin Clark yeah. and then uh, Niall Rogers and Bernard. This was a hit-making factory. 
So, I mean, not only did you work on Chic, but you guys also worked, as I understand, on Sister Sledge and Diana Ross, songs like yes. Upside Down, yes. We Are Family. Yes. Did you have any idea at the moment um, what was happening? And, of course, paint the visual. Like, what was it like? Was it very like, uh, was the studio very much like Studio 54, where you're just like in these awesome 70s clothing and just hanging around having champagne and, and on the <laughs> mic? While recording, no, no. I wish I wish I could paint that picture for you like that. But um, it was work, but it was fun. The interesting thing is that because we were such great friends, we were there supporting each other. So imagine, if you will, we walk into the studio, we walk into the control room, and we hear a song we've never heard it before, but we feel the rhythm, we get the vibe of the song, and then we look at each other and we sort of stand around in a circle and start working the lyric, trying to discover the song's DNA, sort of like we discovered the DNA of our friendship and the DNA of our vocal collaborations. You know, so we began to develop this type of chemistry that infused the songs with who we were. So you hear fun there, you hear passion, you hear nerves, you hear all of that because that's who we were at that time. So those were the, some of the things and the images that were there, lots of laughter, lots of joking and kidding around. But when it was time to go to work, we were able to do that in an atmosphere just infused with um, a lot of artistic talent. Absolutely, like wall to wall. All right, so... I have to ask, because you did mention in an interview that Luther was a part of this big sound, especially around the vocal arrangements, and obviously oh. we all know how important the vocal arrangements were in his song. So how did that happen? If you got the lead um, sheet for I Want Your Love, was the chorus hook in there? And then if it was or it wasn't, how did Luther help kind of define that? Well, Luther actually is, you know, I, I give him credit for actually being one of the co-creators, if not the creator, of the chic vocal sound. You know, he worked with Nylon Bernard, and he helped to just craft that very percussive staccato sound that sort of floated in and out of the melody with the rhythm section. So he did that. He taught us how to do that. And my sound today is still very much influenced by what he taught. Fonzie and I were having a conversation, and we said that it was Luther's university, and there were those who were professors, and then there were those who were students. But Well, now, like we, most of us, I'm not a singer. You actually heard me sing at Luther's party, so you know that's yeah. true. But what does that mean? Like, is, does, did he tell you how to do the intonations, the vowels, or, you know, the phrasing? Like, what, what would that have... I, and I know, I don't know how much you could explain, but I'm just curious, yeah. like, when you say that, because most of us aren't, have no idea what that would mean. How how would you define that a little but bit you more? Hit it, you, you know, Max, you hit it right on the head. I remember us sitting around in, in, in a circle with Luther before we would go out on tour, and he would actually work with us on those things, work on intonation, because Sheik did a lot of uh, unison singing. Unison singing, believe it or not, is a lot harder than singing in harmony because in unison singing, you have to sound like one. So you have to breathe together. You have to hit the note at the same place, not slightly above, not slightly below, but right smack dab in the middle. And you have to figure out what it is that you can bring to this sound that's characteristically yours but then doesn't overpower the sound. And he was a master at that and we learned that that's one of the things that I learned from him and one of the things I value. And then we would also sit and we would study vocalists. 
I can't tell you how many hours, countless hours, we would sit with Luther and he would play things for us and he would say, listen to this, listen to that. Do you hear how she's holding that note? Do you hear what that is? Do you hear that riff? Listen to those tones. Listen to that energy. Listen to that vibrancy. And he would begin to point out the things about people that he loved, singers that he loved, that he thought was really good and would pass it on to us. And we would sit I can't tell you how many Diana Ross songs we picked apart or Aretha Franklin or Dionne Warwick songs that we actually sat and, 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 and listened to. And he was a master of, of background vocals, too. He transformed background vocals to an art form. He really did. I totally agree. All right, so we're going to ask – we have a couple questions for you, and then we're going to hear more about From the Heart and um, – so here's your first question from Jane. We love Jane in London, one of your, uh, Luther's biggest fans. She's also part of the Facebook community for Luther Vandross. What was it like to work on the video, It's Over Now? Um, you were featured on that video. We should tell people yes. you were on the Give Me the Reason tour, The Night I Fell in Love. You were on those albums, and then you also toured with Luther, the Give Me the yes. Reason and The Night yes. I Fell in Love. But the one video you are in from Luther's was It's Over Now. It was wonderful, but it was, um, I loved the song, but it was my first time working on a professional set. So it's hurry up and wait. So you get dressed and you go out and you wait and you do it again and you do it again and you do it again. And let me tell you, I was so green that I, I made a mistake and I, I said, silly me, cut. They didn't stop, of course, because only the director can stop a shoot. Duh. I didn't know that at the time. So I was not not chastened at all, but definitely it was a learning experience and a growth experience for me. So it was a very professional setting for me to be in, and it was the first time I was in something on that level that was so professional. And I understood what how hard a job it is to, to act and to be involved in those things. The people who do their craft well make everything look easy. It's not as easy as it appears. So my hat's off to professionals who do what they do. And Lester Wilson, I assume, was the choreographer because what people probably don't know is Luther's mother and his two sisters, uh, Mary Ida Vandross was his mother, then his sister yes. Pat and Pat Anne, Anne were in the video, and then Lester yeah. Wilson's mother. They played the nosy neighbors. They and then did. you and Lisa Fisher are decked out in, like, this wonderful, like, 80s art deco. I mean, the outfit. Did you wear that outfit later on stage? No, I didn't. You know, once I, once I was able to shimmy myself out of it, they were rubber. <laughs> so... It was hot. We were sweating profusely, and we had a hard time getting into and of those clothes. But we looked good, didn't we? <laughs> it's a fabulous video. I hope people check it out, especially losers like Jerry Curl. All right, so Leon Petrosin wants to know, uh, Alpha, when you joined the group Luther on Cotillion Records in 1977, how did that come about? Well, I, I didn't really join the group. I got into the group, Leon, just after um, that record was was uh, released, but I was able to sing some of those songs, and it was wonderful because I was able to go to Switzerland with Luther on one of his first tours, and my first time actually in Europe, to sing at the Amantra Jazz Festival. Herbie Mann invited us over, and Average White Band and Benny King, and a few other big names like that. So we got an opportunity. So I got an opportunity to sing those songs uh, that were actually on that 
uh, album, Luther, but I was not a member of the group. I think it was Diane Sumler and Christine Wiltshire and Anthony. I can't think of Anthony's last name. But I didn't actually make the record. Okay. All right, so now um, I'm sure we're going to get some more questions, and if we have more time, we'll we'll have them actually ask them. But your story is really about reinvention to me, which I love, and that's the story of Diva Bedek and, you know, just what Marianne said earlier about kind of facing your fears and going forward. You did leave the music industry for quite a while to return to education, and in the 1990s you earned a second master's degree and later became a high school principal yes. in Brooklyn. Yes. What, uh, what was that? Uh, what was that journey about for you? Why did you decide to do that? Well, music and education have always been my loves. And growing up in a small southern town, um, educa- excuse me, education was something that we valued. We didn't really think that singing was anything that that you could do. It wasn't until I came to New York that I realized that people actually did it professionally and could make a living. So going back to education was something that was one of my first loves, and it was also a place where I could just sort of lick my wounds after having been a little disappointed in show business and and develop the other part of me, you know, that I knew that was there because those have always been my passions. So it was a wonderful, wonderful experience for me to to have that contact with young people, to introduce them actually at that point to music. And to make sure that music was definitely in the center place piece, the centerpiece of, of uh, the educational curriculum, and not an add-on. I'm for, I'm def, I'm a passionate advocate for arts and education, and we were able to do that successfully at the school where I was teacher, then assistant principal, and principal. And as a matter of fact, our arts integration program became a national model for how to integrate the arts. So. It was an opportunity for me to put my two loves together in a way that empowered other people. Do you think being a professional musician and certainly having the success you had helped to make that all happen as well? Yeah, it did. It did. I can't tell you how many how, how many theatrics you have to use to stand in front of a classroom. And any any educator that's listening understands that it's so that you're really on stage and you're acting and I know you do this also as a, as an educator for a diabetic educator. So having the music really supported me, supported me to work with students, to work with young people, to tear down the walls, we could find some common bonds, common bonds, some entry points because we talked about music a lot and we used music to talk about other things. For instance, when I was trying to get my students to read uh, the classic, quote-unquote, and I'll put quotes around it, classic poems like like poets and like, like Emily Dickinson or read Shakespeare. They were like, ah. And what I would do is that I would take the music that they liked and I would point out figures of speech. And I taught them where, of what a simile was, what is a metaphor, what is onomatopoeia, et cetera, et cetera. And if you recognize it here, here's this piece of work. Do you see the same thing there? So the crossover was very much there. So I used it to um, bring the two worlds together, to merge them together, and very successfully, I might add. I love it. All right, now I sent this to you because you were a high school principal, and I just found a recent article about the new Virginia law that lets school nurses help children with type 1 diabetes adjust their insulin pump 
tubing at school. I wanted to just bring this conversation to diabetes before we talk about the new album. Sure. Did you ever sure. encounter children with diabetes in the school system? Yeah, New York is a huge system, so there are lots of pe- children there who, well, I can't say lots, but there were f- we had a small school, so there were a few students that were there. But um, there was all, there's always a di- diabetes medication administration form that all schools and all school nurses have, and this form is very, very much uh, used. You know, and it's a part of uh, Section 504 of the Rehabilitation Act of 1973 that ensures that all students with special needs are provided with the services that they need for full participation in classrooms. So definitely that was there, it's in place, and people are using that so that kids living with diabetes can fully participate in the learning experience. It's I a love part that. of being just... holistic. It's a part. I'm sorry. It's it's a part of the holistic approach to education, you know, because it's it's about your mind. It's about your body. If those things aren't there, and your passion that you have for what you're doing, so definitely those things need to be a part of the educational system. They're not separate. I I just thank you for talking about that. I I just brought Luther. Andros, diabetes all together in one interview. This is uh, incredible. (laughs) I know, right? I'm sure a lot of people are rolling their eyes with me. Now let's talk about this song, um, When Luther Sings. This is a a tribute to your good friend and musical mentor, Luther Vandross, and you said the song is autobiographical in many ways. How, How is it autobiographical? It's autobiographical because it's exactly the way I felt. You know, the first line is, when Luther sings, it's so amazing to be loved. I was thinking about putting a, a cover of one of Luther's songs on my CD, and I said, I love So Amazing because I used to listen to him and watch him on stage do that. And I said, that's such a classic song. And then all of a sudden, the light bulb, instead of doing one of his classics, uh, doing one of his covers, why not write a song about him and about the impact he had on you and other people's lives? And that's how, and I said, you know, Luther was so amazing. And then the thing just came to me, when Luther sings, it's so amazing to be loved. It just came, it must have been inspired from someplace else because that's how that song came to me. And a tribute to somebody who is my mentor and uh, who was a dear, dear friend and whom I miss every day. All right, so I want to ask you, how did you meet your husband? (laughs) On the Luther Vandross tour. (laughs) You did meet Tinker. Tell everyone who your husband is because I think people would be fascinated by this. And this is probably, this plays a big Much he changed your life as well. Yeah, absolutely. Tinker Barfield, El Uriel Tinker Barfield is my husband. He is a renowned bassist who has played with a lot, a lot of people and um, currently playing with uh, Valerie Simpson. He worked with Nick Ashford and Valerie Simpson, and he is now working with Valerie Simpson. I work with her sometimes as well. So we met on the Luther Vandross tour in 1981, I think, is when we both went to Luther's, uh, became a part of the LV family entourage together. And... um, after a while, it, it blossomed into love, and here we are, 30-something years later, still together. And Luther would always say, he would always say to me, you know, I get up here and I sing these love songs every night, and I watch people go home with people that they love. You know, So he knew the impact and power that his music had on the audience. 
No, he's absolutely. All right, are you ready? We're going to give uh, Leon a chance to ask a question, and um, are you? Re- we're going to bring Leon. Up. This is Leon Petrosin. Leon and yeah. I are going to be doing a uh, tribute podcast of Luther Vandross in July. I haven't set the date. As soon as I do, I will let everyone know. But Leon, I don't know if I did you justice with your question tonight. So, would you like to ask Alpha Anderson a question? Yeah, hey Max, hey, how you doing? Alpha, great to hey, finally talk to you. Yeah. Hey, this is great. I'm excited. I'm excited. <laughs> <laughs> but um actually I I'm just going to I mean, you did great on that question Max. I mean, it answered my question. Um I guess I have one more and it's sure. short and sweet. Um how did you meet Luther? I mean, was it, you know, first time? First it was And what was a- he wearing? <laughs> it was at a it was at a rehearsal studio. Uh, a girlfriend of mine, Edna Holt, took me into the studio and introduced me to Fonzie and Michelle. And sitting in the corner was this stranger that I did not meet. And Fonzie took me over and introduced me to the man himself. Luther was sitting in a chair, slumped over, wearing overalls. He's very shy. He had his oh. head down. He slowly lifted his head and shook my hand, and then he slowly put his head back down. And I'm thinking, oh, wow, that, that, that was a great meeting. He really liked me. <laughs> But this man got up to sing, and when he got up to sing, to sing, excuse me, I was automatically smitten. And that's why the lyric is, the first time I heard you sing, I was mesmerized, caught up in the magic you bring. What a surprise, because I was so surprised to hear this voice come from this man at this particular time. And that's where my love affair with his art started. Oh, thank you. That's great. Yeah, what a great story. Great. And what was he wearing, Alpha? Because you're going to shatter a lot of people's uh, thoughts about Luther Vandross right now, because I read this in an interview you did. He, what was yeah, he wearing? He was, he, was not wearing, he was not wearing Versace, folks. He was, actually, <laughs> he was actually wearing a pair of overalls. Wow. Coveralls. Uh-huh. You know, the, the, with yeah, the bib yeah. and everything, yeah. Well, that's that a reason to keep your vision, people, if you could get that yeah. sight <laughs> from your eyes, right? <laughs> the fabulous Luther, right. the first time I met him. <laughs> All right, well, I want you two to stick around. We're going to take a short break. Come right back with uh, Patricia Addy Gentle. We have another question about diabetic macular edema, and then we're going to play a few games with you. So if you both stick around, I'd appreciate it, okay? All right. Okay. All right. All right, we're going to um, listen to another song by our June Divabetic musical inspiration, Maxwell, courtesy of Sony Music. Let's listen to Bad Habits by Maxwell. Welcome back to Diabetes Late Night. I'm your host, Mr. Diva Bedick, and Patricia Addy Gentle, registered nurse, certified diabetes educator. You're back on the line. We're talking a little bit about diabetic macular edema. And Patricia, are you there? I'm here. We have a question from one of our Diva Bedick Club members in New York. We haven't seen her in a while, but here's Laura Ann. Hi, Laura Ann. Hi, Max. How are you? Good. Great to have you on the show. You know, it's all about artistic expression. And can we give a shout out to the to the work you're working on because it's so important what you um, shared with me in a video, and I, I wanted to make sure we took a moment to tell people the project you've been working on because I think it, if you don't mind sharing it, I think it would be really um, 
wonderful for our listeners to know about it. Well, I'm in an anti-stigma campaign against people with mental illness, um, and that has been a rewarding thing to be a participant in because it makes me feel less shy about sharing. And since I'm a diva-betic as well, you know, it, it, I speak more about things that are important to me and to other people too. So um, I've been a type 2 since 2000 without medication. And through diet and exercise, I've kept, you know, I kept myself up, you know. And I, when I met you, Max, um, uh-huh. you were such an inspiration for me to treat myself as a diva. And that has been so helpful. And in my family, uh, blindness and amputations are quite prevalent. And I've been very blessed um, with all the support I've gotten over the years to not have any effects on my eyesight. So I thank you. And what was and, your question about, um, your, about eyes tonight? Well, what are the signs of the macular degeneration? Um, Patricia? Sometimes, yes, yeah, sometimes those signs are so vague that you don't have you don't pay any attention. Some people will feel like it's a sign of aging or just a normal, natural process. Um, there are signs, but like I say, they can be vague. And the blurry vision is the uh, most prevalent thing that I hear about. Um, but there is no pain or anything that just sticks out. Um, I, I remember hearing someone talk about the halo uh, that mm-hmm. you're driving, especially in bright lights, but mm-hmm. usually it's the blurring. I see. I've she really kind of always have, had she blurring. She really needs to have her eyes dilated, right? She needs to have that full exactly. examination. Exactly. The dilated any- eye exam can, um, you know, let you know whether or not there may be some type of a problem there. And that dilated eye exam uh, should be done, as I stated earlier, at least once a year. If I go have, once a year. Yeah, once a year, but if there are other things going on, if if something is detected, then you may be on a return type of interval where you're not you're not able to wait another year before you go back. So sometimes oh. once you're diagnosed, you're going more frequently than once a year. I see. And are there things that you can do that that you know of that stops this or slows it down? Well, you can prevent. Uh, Prevention is is pretty much what you want to do. And when you prevent it, you're keeping, you know, it's caused usually by other chronic conditions, anything that affects the blood vessels. So it makes those vessels fragile, like high blood sugars, high blood pressure. And so you treat the underlying cause of it. And you make sure that you are keeping within the guidelines of management for your blood pressure or for your diabetes. And if you're keeping your blood sugars in the ranges where they should be, then you definitely are reducing the risk for for retinopathy or for macular degeneration or uh, macular edema. I see. It sounds like Laura Ann is doing that. I try. You know, some days I keep. So you keep up the good work. For calling in, and again, I'm going to post. I want to post that video you're in again about fighting the stigma on mental illness because I think that was so amazing, Lauren. I was just uh, so inspired by your work 
you're working with a theater group and performing it, and it's just um, amazing. I, I appreciate that so much. Thank you, and I appreciate you, and I'm so glad you brought an artist on today. I really connected to this particular episode, so thank you. Oh, great. Thank you. All right, well, we're going to play some games now, so we're going to bring back our special guests, Alpha Anderson and also Leon Betrosen, uh, the Luther Vandross um, I had the word historian and Alpha Anderson. We should tell everyone again. You have a new album coming out. It's from your heart. Yes. Is it going to be available everywhere? How can people pick up a it's copy? It's going to be available on all platforms: City Baby, uh, iTunes, Amazon, and it's going to be released on July seventh of this the next month. Oh wow, it's getting really close. And I'm, I'm going to have that concert at Joe's Pub on July seventh, where I will premiere those new songs and I'm inviting everyone to just come out and join me I love it alright well we're going to play some games because my goal has always been to host my own game show and um, <laughs> I am a happy healthcare host so it's time to play a few games in, in the spirit of raising awareness for diabetes I'm going to be at the 35th annual mermaid parade in Coney Island this weekend so all our games tonight have to do with aquatics <laughs> so um, we'll start with Alpha then we'll go to Leon and see how well you guys do uh, Alpha, approximately yes. how many species of fish are there worldwide? Is it 9,000, 27,000, 56,000, or 72,000? Oh, my God. I don't know. I'll take a guess and come where, somewhere in the middle because of global warming and all the things that are happening. Um, it's between 27,000 and what was the one after that? 56,000? Hmm. Well, let's say 56,000. 56,000? Mm-hmm. Is that your final answer? That is my final answer. It's probably one <laughs> That's my answer. That's my story, and I'm sticking to it. <laughs> uh, Patricia, what's the answer? Oh, wait. I think I tuned her out without meaning to. Oh. <laughs> oh, no. I know I, she's here. Here she is. Oh, no, Patricia, you're on the line. Patricia? 27,000. Are you there, Patricia? Is it 27,000? It is 27,000. Okay, all right. Oh, wow. Patricia, are you there? Hey, yes, I'm here. I no, can hear okay. you. <laughs> okay. How, Leon, how many teeth can a, uh, can a shark grow in during its lifetime? 500, 5,000, 50,000, or 500,000? <laughs> oh, great. I'm going to say 500. Is that your final answer? Yeah. <laughs> What's the answer? <laughs> What's the answer? What? Do you have the answer, Patricia? Um, I don't have that answer. Five thousand uh, is the answer. When a shark loses a tooth, uh, a new tooth grows in its place. Below <laughs> each tooth are up to seven layers of replacement teeth, <laughs> just uh, waiting to grow. And I'll let you know that in our upcoming Mr. Divic. Mr. Divabetic Mystery Podcast, my former swim coach, uh, Ted Rocco. Ac no, actually, Ted Rocco's good friend, Fast Freddy, has a, has a run in with a shark. You have to tune in in September to find out more about that. All right, Alpha, yeah. even fried fish is good for you. True or false? False. I would is that say your false. final answer? That is my final answer. Fish is healthiest when it's baked or broiled. Unfortunately, fish that's fried 
loses all the health benefits once you deep fry a piece of fish. Eating a lot of fried foods, especially when cooked in saturated or trans fats, is closely linked to heart disease and stroke. Yep. Did you want to add anything, Patricia? Uh, yes. If if you're eating a lot of fried foods, uh, especially even just a single serving of fried fish a week, is associated with 48% higher risk of heart failure. Mm. Wow. Wow. Mm. Okay, and Leon, final question. How many servings of fish per week does the American Heart Association recommend? Is Ooh. it one, two, three, or four? Mm. I'm going to say three. Two. You just need to have two servings per week, but the more you eat, the better. So, uh, you know, as long, uh, they're considering a serving about 3.5 ounces, which means that um, it's a little bit bigger than the average uh, average size of a woman's hand. So, a lot of probably oh. a lot of people are probably having more when they have a single serve when they consider huh. having that single serving. Huh. Patricia, did you have anything to add? Well, your omega-3 fatty acids um, that you find in fish are extremely important for heart health. And so the more salmon or mackerel, those kinds of things that are high in in the omega-3 acids are very good for you. Yeah. All right. Well, Leon, you know we're going to be coming back with a show in July with lots of Luther's former bandmates and vocalists. Maybe Alpha will make a guest appearance again right after her show to tell us how it went. We haven't said the date yet, Alpha, by the way. And then Alpha Anderson, we should just tell everyone once again, uh, the album is from your from my heart. Music from You'll my heart. Yes. Joe's Pub in New York on July seventh at seven thirty. They can get their tickets right there online at Joe's Pub. And if people want to hear when Luther sings, what's the best way for them to hear it? Right now, it's available on Amazon, on iTunes, at CD Baby you, as a download, as a digital download. And it's a fabulous song. Thank you so much for being on the show. Also on my tonight. website, you know, I might add. You don't have, if you just want to hear it, you can also go to my website, officialalphaanderson.com, and it's there. You don't even have to pay for it. <laughs> Perfect. All right. Well, here's coming up is one of my favorite Maxwell songs of all time. It was written by a British singer named Kate Bush for the American mm. film She's Having a My She's Having a Baby in 1988. The lyric this woman's work is about being forced to confront an unexpected and frightening crisis during normal uh during the normal event of childbirth. Let's listen to this song courtesy of Sony Music.
songs. I'm your host, Mr. Diva Bedek. You're listening to Diabetes Late Night. We're having a good time with our Maxwell playlist for June. Uh, you can check out some more of my playlists on Spotify. Now, make sure you watch our uh, Mermaid Parade Facebook Live video this Saturday, June 17th. I'll be in Coney Island raising awareness with my friend Catherine Schuler. It's time to meet my final guest of the evening. Uh, she'll be there in spirit. She won't be there with me on the red carpet in Coney Island. But please welcome to the show, Mama Rosemarie. Hi, Mom. Hello. Hi. How are you tonight? What a wonderful show. It, it, I'm fine. I'm just appreciating this wonderful show you guys tonight. So it's great to have all those people on celebrate uh, what Alpha Anderson is doing, celebrate what Laura Ann oh. is doing. It's amazing. And oh, I, I love what Bryce definitely. and uh, Marianne let us do as well. Oh, it was, it was very, very informative and, and just fun to listen to. It was wonderful. So would you like to hear my tip for this Well, month? before you tell your tip, we should tell everyone that we have been practicing for the Mr. Diva Bag Mystery Podcast coming in September called Gypsies, Tramps, and Peas. We've had two rehearsals, mm-hmm. and uh, maybe in the final show, we've been talking among the cast about having people be able to access the script so they could read along with us during the oh, show. Oh, that sounds great. Mm-hmm. I think that would be wonderful. They would really probably enjoy that. And what's it been like for you to be on the Mystery Podcast? Because you've been on all three of them so far. (laughs) Well, I'm not going to give any hint uh, about this year's, but it it made me feel better this year. (laughs) So anyhow, I really enjoy being on it. It's it's, uh, wonderful to be part of it and to uh, always have to listen to when I come in and, and listen to the other people and, feel like we're right there at Coney Island. It's just great. And I learned a lot about different spots in Coney Island. And and um, I someday I hope to go there and, and uh, be a participant. Right. And we should tell everyone that this year we're really focusing on summer um, diabetes self-care tips. And one of those, of course, is on the beach. A lot of people like to go barefoot and sometimes even get a pedicure. So tell us about your tip tonight. Well, yes, it is. You know, starting June is summertime, so everybody wants to look pretty. So my tip is about pampering yourself with a safe pedicure. If you go to a nail salon, be sure to ask them, the manicurist, to skip the cuticle sticks. The actual act of pushing back and cutting that skin puts you in danger of infection, either from bacteria in the water or later on from ingrown toenails. And remember, especially to protect the tops of your feet with a broad-spectrum sunscreen. Because everybody wants to put on those pretty sandals and show off the pretty toenails, so make sure you use that sunscreen. And um, have a wonderful summer. Enjoy it. And ciao for now. Happy Father's Day. Thanks, Mom, for being on the show yeah, tonight. Yeah, thank you. Happy Father's Day to all the fathers. Making sure your feet don't get sunburned. All right, well, I want to thank right, Mama Rosemarie. So. I want to thank all my guests tonight, and especially thank you for listening for the past seven years to our podcast. I can't believe next month is another anniversary. It's going to be our seventh anniversary 
of Divabetic Podcasting, and we couldn't do it without you. Please subscribe to our Divabetic e-newsletter at divabetic.org. Visit Divabetic's Facebook page. Check out my videos on Mr. Divabetic's YouTube channel. And go to the Divabetic blog to get our face, our Father's Day uh, Spaghetti Western Celebration recipes, tips for entertaining, and uh, trends in diabetes to help you manage your care with a glamour, fearless attitude. Remember, every diva has an entourage, and I am so thrilled to be part of yours. Let's stay happy and healthy together. We're going to end this podcast with a bittersweet love song about meeting the right girl at the wrong time from Maxwell's fourth studio album, Black Summer's Night. It also topped the hot R&B and hip-hop song charts in 2009. Here's Pretty Wings, courtesy of Sony Music. Time will bring the real end of our trial. There'll be no remnants, no trace, no attention. Lands within you, then you won't remember me. Your face will be the reason I smile, but I will not see what I cannot have forever. I'll always love you. I hope you feel the same. Like my prescription found the way I'm a I had to set you free.